Listen to a radio interview with a restaurant critic about a meal he has eaten recently. Where did he eat the meal? What did he think of it? 7A. Hello and welcome to today's programme. My guest today is the journalist James Langdon, who's here to make our mouths water. James recently had lunch in one of the most famous restaurants in the world, El Bulli. As I'm sure many of you already know, El Bulli is a small restaurant on the east coast of Spain, in Catalonia. It's been voted the best restaurant in the world five times in the last ten years and has been described as serving the most imaginative food on the planet. <laughs> James, you're a very lucky man. How on earth did you manage to get a table? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> El Bulli is only open for six months of the year, which means there are only 8,000 seats available per year and there are two million contenders for those seats. <laughs> As a restaurant critic, I was lucky enough to be around when the chef and co-owner, Ferran Adria, was about to publish a book, and he was keen to talk to a newspaper about it. Why has the restaurant become so famous? Well, Ferran Adria and his team were the first to start pushing the boundaries of food and cooking and bringing science into the kitchen. First of all, they became famous for replacing sauces with foams and for presenting flavours through the medium of warm jellies. When these ideas spread around the world and became clichés, they moved on. For example, to cooking ingredients in liquid nitrogen. <laughs> so, what was your verdict on the meal? Well, I have to say that it was the very best dinner I've ever eaten. That's generous praise coming from a professional. <laughs> what exactly did you have to eat? We'd be here all night if I described all the dishes to you. Oh. There were 42 of them. <laughs> they were tiny, but still, there were 42 of them. 42 different dishes? That's extraordinary. Were they all good? All but two of them were perfect. What were the two less-than-perfect ones? One was a plate of very sour fruit, a, a bit like a mango, with a pile of something which looked like tagliatelle, but it was actually made from frozen foie gras. Mm. <laughs> it tasted of cheese for some reason and had a curious and slightly unpleasant aftertaste. The other was a dish of coconut cream and jelly, which tasted of not very much at all. But those were the only two. The other 40 were magnificent. And what was your favourite dish? Mm, it's hard to say. There were so many to choose from. I think the best was a crisp wafer of bitter chocolate with game mousse. Mm, unbelievably good. It sounds delicious. <laughs> Thank you, James, for coming to talk to us. You're welcome. <laughs> Listen to a man talking about two aspects of sport. What two questions is he asked? 7B Why do you think we're attracted to sport? Um, one of the things that sport does is it's an extension of what small children all have to do and want to do. They, they, they want to, when they can only crawl, they want to walk. When they can't crawl, they want to crawl for a minute shortly before they can crawl. They want to walk, they want to run, they want to climb, they want to do things that grown-ups can do. Um, they want to catch, they want to throw, they want to fight, they want to have force and strength, bodily strength, they want to run fast. 
And these are all things that sport is an extension of. So it seems to me that it's absolutely basic to human beings. The things that lead up to sport, the psychological fundamental things, psychological and physiological things, the coordination, dancing, movement, you know, people like these things. And, and little children, if given any sort of encouragement, I don't mean for sport in particular, will do these kinds of things. Does sport damage family life? The second thing I would want to say about it is that sport is a passion. I think it's sort of come through in some of the other things I've been saying. And a passion can also lead people away from a family. But in a good family, people's different passions can be accommodated. And you come back into the family and you bring something from the passion you've had. And that enhances the life of the family. Uh, that's an ideal situation, but it's also an ordinary situation. So I, 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 again, see no reason why it should be the case. There are tendencies for it to be the case, but there's no reason why it has to be the case, and very often it isn't the case. Listen to a joke about a dog applying for a job and answer these questions. 1. What were the three requirements for the office assistant? 2. How did the dog demonstrate the first two requirements? 3. How did he show that he had the same requirement? 7C A local business was looking for an office assistant. They put a sign in the window saying, Assistant wanted, must be able to type, must be good with a computer and must be bilingual. We are an equal opportunity employer. A short time afterwards, a dog trotted up to the window, saw the sign and went inside. He looked at the receptionist and wagged his tail, then walked over to the sign, looked at it and barked. Getting the idea, the receptionist got the office manager. The office manager looked at the dog and was surprised, to say the least. But the dog looked determined, so he led him into the office. Inside, the dog jumped up on the chair and stared at the manager. The manager said, I can't take you on. The sign says you have to be able to type. The dog jumped down, went to the typewriter and proceeded to type out a perfect letter. He took out the page and trotted over to the manager and gave it to him, then jumped back on the chair. The manager was stunned but then told the dog, The sign says you have to be good with computers. The dog jumped down again and went to the computer. The dog proceeded to demonstrate his expertise with various programs and produced a sample spreadsheet and database and presented them to the manager. By this time, the manager was totally dumbfounded. He looked at the dog and said, I realise that you're a very intelligent dog and have some interesting abilities. However, I still can't give you the job. The dog jumped down and went outside and pointed with his paw to the part about being an equal opportunity employer. The manager said... Yes, but the sign also says that you have to be bilingual. The dog looked him straight in the eyes and said, Meow. <laughs>